This is an ABC podcast. A few years back, the NT News in Darwin published a photo on its front page that was so astonishing, so eye-popping, that it looked like it just had to be fake. But below the photo was a caption saying, yes, it's real, because it was. It was a picture snapped from a tourist boat on the muddy wilderness of the Adelaide River in the Territory. And leaping up from the water, right next to the boat, you see a monster of a saltwater crocodile, much bigger than a car, with its jaws open, snapping at a dangling piece of meat on a stick. The croc's name is Brutus. He looks like a dinosaur. Harry Bowman calls Brutus his business partner. Harry's been taking nervous and excited visitors into Kakadu National Park and along the Adelaide River for more than 30 years, and he loves the work. He's met people from all over the world, and his office attire suits him well. It's an old shirt, pair of shorts, and a pair of thongs. And despite working in close proximity to dozens of these saltwater crocs, Harry has somehow managed to survive and hang on to all of his body parts. Hello, Harry. Hello, here you go, mate. Well, Harry, I've never been to this part of the Territory along the Adelaide River. How do, how do you like to describe that part of the world? Well, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful bit of the world. I mean, like, like all of Australia, really, but it's uh, a big, wild river that really hasn't changed since time began, really. It's, uh, oh, it's over 130, 140 kilometres long. Um, we're about 80 kilometres inland from the river, and uh, it's full of mangroves, big, untouched mangroves, where I would think that not a lot of... Homo sapiens have ever walked, to be honest. Um, full of wildlife everywhere. A lot of introduced pigs and buffalo and mudskippers, all our native stuff. Bird life, superb. Really beautiful bit of Australia. And because it's so inaccessible to humans, does that mean it's pretty unspoiled out there? Oh yes. Look, you'd be lucky to you'd be lucky to see any rubbish for a month. Really, it's uh, very unspoiled. Uh, the river's only accessible in a couple of spots uh, down at the mouth of the river, which is about eighty kilometres away. And upriver, they've got a small boat ramp. But most people these days are pretty, you know, pretty good with their cans and their rubbish. You, you, you seldom really see anything in the river, so it's good, yeah, nice and clear. Now, the NT isn't where you're from originally. How did you end up in the Territory, Harry? Oh, well, it's a bit of a long story, really, but I'll, I'll make it short. Now, I was in Bass Strait for a while in the oil, oil rigs, and um, I was doing a bit of work on and off in the, in the bush with search and rescue, and I, anyway, came home one night, and the wife had decided to leave uh, after 18 years, and I thought to myself, this is time to head north, young man, you know. I wasn't a young man. I was in my sort of a mid-30s, I suppose. So we got the kids sorted out and uh, got them into jobs and careers. And um, away I went, jumped on a Harley-Davidson motorbike and decided to head north. So this was the 80s and you're riding a motorbike up the Stewart Highway. And, you know, that that wasn't always a perfectly safe endeavour. Did you meet any dodgy characters on that trip along the way? Oh, you know, it's a a sort of place that um, it's had its uh, history of misbehaviour along the way. You wouldn't know who's out there really in those days. You still don't today, really. We still travel up and down that road quite regularly. So you're a bit dodgy who's out on the highway hitchhiking or a broken car or whatnot. But when I headed off, I just... I put, um, you know, a couple of grand in my saddlebags and a swag on the back 
me clothes on the front of the motorbike and I headed off. I had an old double barrel shotgun. I thought I'd better take that up with me. You know, you never know who's poking around. And uh, strapped it on the front of the bike and away I went and had a, you know, just a nice easy trip, just cruising along at the normal speed limits and headed north and got into Cooper Pudi and fueled up because I knew it would be a big run from Cooper Pudi through to Alice or to the next next service station, it's usually about Malabar, and uh, decided to pull up for the night. And what and what happened once you decided to pull up for the night? Well, it was getting cold and dark and it was sort of, uh, oh, look, I can't th- think the time of the month it was. It might have been around uh, April, May. It was pretty nippy at night and I had all my warm gear and I pulled up and I lit a fire about 400 metres off the road and I thought, oh, this is a good spot, you know, and I had a couple of cans of baked beans and a couple of beers there, so I thought I'll just cook back and eat those on the side of the track and... And then I'll, um, you know, move on. And I pulled up and got my swag out next to my bike and rolled that out. And I thought, oh, look, just for safety, I'll, I'll put the barrel back on this gun and just poke it down in my swag. You just never know who's poking around. Anyway, uh, about an hour later, I was just nodding off when the fire was still burning. By the way, this is in, oh, about 8 o'clock at night, I suppose, uh, 8.30, maybe 9. And then I heard a car come in into this sort of car park area where I was in. And the car pulled up about 100 metres away and... These couple of guys got out and walked over and <clears throat> I woke up and they said, hey, mate, you're awake. And I said, oh, you am, you know, what can I do for you? And they said, oh, any chance of using your fire to cook up a bit of tucker on? And I said, oh, that's fine, you know, all you've got to do is help yourself, you know. But I said, you should light your own. But they oh, no, we're happy to use yours. But they struck up conversations and the conversation sort of changed a bit. I felt I felt a bit, a little bit threatened. I thought, oh, these guys are... You know, I don't know. I don't know what they think. The bloke said, oh, you've got a nice bike and all your gear and what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just heading to Darwin to start a new life. And they said, oh, geez, you know, you'd be pretty easy sort of guy to roll over. Words sort of that effect. The conversation went on for a while and I thought, oh, this doesn't sound too good. So I thought I'll just play along with them for a little while. And then I thought, I think things might have to change here. I might have to bring out the attitude adjuster. So I didn't have have any shells in it, you know, which is a silly thing to do but because they're in the saddlebags and I couldn't jump out because I only had a pair of jocks on. I'd jump out and I'd pull the swag back and I'd just stuck the the shotgun out at them, see, and I had a torch, and they said, oh, what's going on? I said, mate, I want you to get in your cars, I want you to start up, get your tucker, and go, and I, I want to hear those engines just keep rolling up the highway for a while, so, because I don't like you, and you're threatening me, so they said, oh, yeah, oh, no, we'll go, mate, we'll go, a complete change in their mm, tune, their mm. attitude, and look, it was a, I felt as though it was a threat, if I hadn't have had it, I mightn't have been here today, because there'd been some... Strange, strange things happen on that bit of highway between there and Darwin, I can tell you. <laughs> oh, my word, yeah, people disappeared uh, on a semi-regular basis from that part of the they world. They have, they have, yeah, the Vicario thing, and, of course, there's a lot of things that happen. It's uh, So that was interesting. So Yeah, and once they, they left, did you hang around that camping no, spot? No, no, I was smart enough to move on from there, mate. I worked in, worked in the mountains of Gippsland for a long time, and I thought, no, I won't stay here because I could have dropped the bloke off in the scrub, you know, 100 metres from me and come back and dong me on the head at night, so I thought, no, I can't lay here anymore, you know, how you lay down, you're nervous, you're thinking continuously, who are these blokes and what are they up to, and I had a bit of money with me and all my gear, and I thought, mate, I'm real easy to roll, so I just rolled everything up, um, uh, up I got, and I got all my gear, it took me about 10 or 15 minutes to load, maybe less, started the bike up, 
and away I went. And I went up, I probably did another 30, 40 K yeah. up the road. It was dark. I was a bit nervous about a lot of camels and a lot of kangaroo, of course, coming to the edge of the road to eat the nippings on the side of the road where it's a bit greener. And, you know, a lot of wild horses. So I just took my time, sat on about, oh, you know, oh, about 60, 70 kilometres an hour so I couldn't, wouldn't injure myself. And then I found another area and I went in there and I had a good night bloody sleep. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. I felt a lot more comfortable then. So once you'd gotten into Darwin, what effect did Darwin have on you? And the reason I ask is that you were from the opposite end of the country where the climate is completely different. In fact, you've been working on oil rigs in Bass Strait where it's pretty, you know, blasts of Antarctic wind and all that. And suddenly you're in Darwin where, um, you know, a mild day is 35 degrees, more or less, and very humid. How did you adjust? Did you like it? Oh, I loved it, mate. Into the shorts. I don't. I've got them on right now. I mean, I've never <laughs> taken them off. I just love it. I mean, it's just a, it's a great climate. Um, and I just came in. There was, I think Darwin in those days with about oh, 55,000 people, um, you know, it, it was just really comfortable. I had a, a mate that I knew uh, who'd been in the oil industry and had moved to Darwin and he offered me a, a room under his house for a week or two till I started chasing up a bit of work. Uh, so, yeah, oh, I loved it. It was just every day was beautiful. Every, you don't have to think. You just get out of bed and pop your shorts and your T-shirt on and if you're going to go for a ride in those days, you can get away with just your thongs on and off you go, you know? Helmet, of course. <laughs> so how did you get into the uh, taking tourists into the wilderness game, Harry? Well, I had, a, I had another chap I, I'd known and, and I'd approached him also about uh, he was starting to do tours into Kakadu National Park and there was only two or three small operators in those days back in the, uh, in the uh, late 80s that were doing this. And he said, would you like to join me, go out and have a go at it? And I said, oh, that sounds fantastic because I'd had a little bit of people skills in Victorian mountains doing a bit of cross-country ski teaching with school kids and bits and pieces like that. And I thought, this, this, is, this is me. So out we went and we took a troop carrier, loaded a troop carrier up with tucker and food and he picked up uh, nine people. Actually, I think he took eight because I was the ninth and I got aboard and out we went and we went out bush and just out towards Kakadu and in through into the park. Well, my eyes just peeled out of my head. It was just gorgeous, you know, everywhere you went, uh, wilderness everywhere and Aboriginal art sites all through the rock caves and just just amazing stuff. So that was that was the, that was the disease I got. <laughs> if you could call it a disease, you got infected uh, with the love of that the, the oh, landscape yeah. there. Just gorgeous, good people, and uh, and it was great to give the knowledge to the people. So you know, I. I had a little bit of knowledge. I'd read quite a lot about Aboriginal stuff over the years and and also was pretty good as a bit of a bushman, so it was easy to do. Uh, and then in a few years, oh, 18 months or more, I think I bought the business outright and I rang my son and I said to me, son, you know, do you want to come up and join Dad? He was about 18 or 19. You know, come up and join me. I've started a career in the outback stuff and where we went from there. Were you in contact with the traditional owners when you were going into Kakadu? Oh, yes. Even in the very early days, there was a pretty good format. And I was one for not being frightening or sitting down with the local indigenous. We lived right in the city of Darwin, and, and we were probably the closest residents to the post office on the corner of Nucky and Mitchell Street. But it was an old Anglican church area, and I actually leased the land off the Anglican church. And, 
you know, before you can jack, say Jack Robertson, I probably had three or four vehicles and I got to know a lot of the local people because a lot of the local people were bringing their art forms into Darwin from Jabiru and Kakadu and down towards, Arn you know, right out in Arnhem Land and stuff. So you get to know the people and the only way to, you know, to sit down in the dirt and have a talk to these people and they've just got wonderful information and great stories about the bush. So, yeah, so we, I struck up a real good friendship with, with a lot of them, which I still have. And so, yeah, it's great fun. You know, Australians are funny. You know, we travel all over the world, but we don't really go too far beyond uh, the big cities that most Australians live in. So, you know, Australians for a very long, a great many Australians don't go too far beyond the Blue Mountains or the Sunshine Coast or the Margaret River or, or wherever else. What's it like when you bring Australians into country like that, which is so awesome and overpowering. What effect does it have on people, Mary? You take people to, it's like, you, might, you could be taking them to down on the, you know, down on the Victorian coast, you know, the 12 apostles or down there, anything like that. I mean, Darwin's got all the Kakadu and the surrounding area. It's just beautiful. The escarpment out in Kakadu was just amazing. And then I had an opportunity some years later to go out into Arnhem Land. I live with a community out in Arnhem Land. A mate of mine who was an artist and he asked me out, we lived out there for a month and the whole family sort of made me stay and made me welcome and we, we ended up going out and shooting buffalo and bringing it in and boning them out and the people in general that you go along, I mean, you'd have to be a madman not to enjoy it. It's just a fantastic country to have a look at, you know. So after a while you shifted your tour tours to the Adelaide River. Uh, mm. Like I said, I, I've not been there. How close is this to Darwin, this spot where, where Look, you can take it? You can course? actually, you know, it, it's, it, it, describe this to, uh, to you in general. On a really quiet day, and you're about 60 kilometres the crow flies from where our spot is on the river. Anyway, we decided to move out there because people wanted to see crocodiles. Very, very important part of the territory. There's got this real icon crocodiles. They want to see salties and freshies. So we, and I call them salties because they're salt glands of course. Now, they don't have to live in salt water. <laughs> they can live in fresh water and cost a lot of people their lives by ignoring that. Uh, but yeah, so in general, we decided to set up a boat, a small boat I bought from Chapin Catherine, and I set up a small pontoon. And a part of our three-day Kakadu tour was a an hour on a boat to show people big wild crocs. And it was pretty raw in those days. I mean, people had never seen them and I was sort of, you know, I thought, how am I going to feed these animals? Oh, there's a bit of roadkill on the road. There's the odd dead wallaby and whatnot, or dead dog or cat or something, and you dragged it along and feed the crocs theme on the riverbank. But we had to get more professional. It just didn't look the part, really. A lot of people thought you'd shot the cat or killed the kangaroo, you know, and we never did that. So you introduce a feed like buffalo meat, which is readily available from the country, and you'd feed them the crocs, and the crocs get used to you. They swim out to the boat, and away they go. What, they, they can't hang around like pigeons? <laughs> they do. <laughs> well, they're like pigeons. They're like your normal domestic animal, right. except they'll eat you. It's right. as simple as that. There's no, you know, you see all these wonderful stuff about crocodiles, they won't hurt you. <laughs> right. no, no, they will they're hurt you. Right. Things, mate. They will kill you. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, right, it's like so. It's like it's like it's like feeding chooks, except if the chooks were bigger than cars and uh, <laughs> have giant teeth on them, and will kill you and eat you. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I yeah, mean, but... look, honestly, these you just cannot take a chance with them. There's the day you get complacent, the day you get done. <laughs> um, and you'd have to try to remind people, you know, because we had a lot of international people in those days, a lot of backpackers travelling, and a few Aussies, but mainly backpackers coming in from Europe that have always dreamed of coming to Kakadu National Park. It was advertised. You know, I think the 
things of Paul Hogan were terrific for Australia. It got people thinking, let's travel from Europe to Australia and enjoy some of the outback stuff, you know. So we, we, I'd say 30, 40, 50% of our tourists would have been from Europe, not many from America, a few Japanese people, but in general that. But now the Crocs, mate, <laughs> bad news. <laughs> you, know, you know, I read once, I read once read a story about when Steven Spielberg was making Jaws and, you know, yes. it, was, it was by no means um, uh, a, a certainty that this was going to be a huge film. It looked like it was going to be really troubled. He was showing his, his mates around the gigantic sort of plastic uh, replica great white shark. Uh, these are fellow directors like Brian De Palma and they're going, oh, well, this is ridiculous. There's no way a shark gets that big. And he went, actually, they do. I don't think Americans who are used to alligators are probably ready for how big a saltwater crocodile gets in Australia. Do you find that's a thing, with, particularly with Americans who are used to smaller alligators from their part of the world? Yeah, they sort of, I mean, you know, the Yanks have always been, you know, we're bigger and better, as in a lot of their, the whole uh, thing. But Australia's got some terrific stuff. Now, don't get me wrong, mate. I love Americans, mate. I ride a Harley Davidson, so they make good bikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I think but by virtue of living in America, they're going to have the, 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 big, the bigger crocs, the bigger alligators. That, no, that's right. That way, does oh, look, it? I've done as much study, not study, but a lot of reading and that about them. And I mean, there's always going to people argue different to you, but the biggest one I know I've recorded, and I was very, very fortunate to meet this lady before she passed away. And she lived at a place called Normanton. And uh, Chris Karolsky, your name was, and the picture of, it's not a picture, they made a big cask of this crocodile, and it's nearly 30 feet long. It's as long as a bus. And it's in the main street, of, anyone can see it. It's just sitting there in uh, Normanton. And I met her, I, she passed away now. She, she came out from Europe after the war, and her and her husband shot crocs. And she shot this croc, it weighed four tonne, you know, like... And she had these incredible photos of her, and I had photos of them with the lady standing next to her, and she's well, a reasonably sized lady, but the crocodile was the best part of a metre and a half off the ground. God. God. And, and there's talk of them still in that country, but nobody will say where they are because they're very concerned that, you know, once the public get involved and they chase them and look for them, someone's going to pull a bullet in it or something and kill it. And I just absolutely I love my Australian wildlife. You know, I'm not keen on buffalo and introduced species, but, you know, you, you want these animals to live on. So they do turn into monsters and we can have our own Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you are doing. You are kind of offering Jurassic Park tours in a way, if you think about it. What kind of a safety briefing? Once you've got your, your tourists out and ready to put on the boat, to take them on the river, what kind of a safety briefing do you have to give them, Harry? There's a proper procedure you've got to go through on, on your safety, how to put life jackets on, and you tell them, well, don't put it on. You don't jump in the river with them. But once you go through that, and they see some some horrible pictures on our in our base camp of of injuries that people have suffered. <laughs> Hang on, do you have do you have pictures of people with croc injuries at the base yeah, camp before they head out? Well, you've got to have that because yeah. it gives people a bit of a awakening. You know, they you know people get a bit complacent. They they you're used to seeing them in Steve Irwin's thing where they're a bit they're a bit doughy, and 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 the ones on the river living on the best food you can get barramundi and prawns and buffalo and they're they're seven times quicker than a human mate i mean they're just they're so quick you can't even see them move so you've got to have people who are a bit of a real reality check but you do lose the odd customer like as in not lose them in the river <laughs> make sure you put that in uh, they, it, it, they they see the photos on the wall and they say oh, i don't want to get on the river i'm, I'm fighting to death so you say, oh, shit. You know, I, sh I shouldn't have done that <laughs> 
well, well, uh, that's that's the way it's got to be. Well, you've got to be does. telling it's no, no good book. You know, no good beating around the bush, mate. You've you got to tell people the way it is. And, look, people are happy to have that history. You keep your arms in. Don't hang over the sides. In those days, we didn't have too much mesh around the boat and people could, you know, that great photo of Brutus that we got was, you know, a photographer from NT News, uh, Katrina Bridgeford, and she took it. And it was an amazing shot, you know, with Brutus coming out of the water, but he does it every day, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, once you're out on the water with, with the, the visitors, your guests, how, how, many, how, how many crocs will swarm around you typically? How many of these beasts? We've been one uh, to always feed them good quality food. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's usually really good quality buffalo meat and they're smart. They know the tucker's there and you cut it into little blocks and you usually put it on a bit of string or I, I've used a really soft wire which is harmless to the animal so they're not swallowing the string. So yeah, look, sometimes you get seven or eight swimming around the boat God. until Brutus or Dominator come along and <laughs> and they're five metre crocs and they'll just say, move out of the way, I'm here, you know. Right, they just push their way through the crowd, yeah, do they? they? Come in and, they're like uh, Donald they, Trump, are they? Right, they just push everyone do, aside, right. <laughs> right. But haven't got the hairdo. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, they're big animals. So um, that photo, I've I, just been mentioning the, of, yes. of the croc coming out of the water, that's, that's, that's Brutus. And, and what we're seeing in that photo is pretty much the upper third of his body coming right out of the water, and it's as mm. tall as your, your, your boat with a marquee on it, pretty much. How high can they propel themselves out of the water? Well, you know, if they're a good feed and they're being laying, it's all to do with the energy. If they lay on that riverbank and pick up as much energy, it all comes from the sun, of course, being reptiles. Well, they, they build that energy levels up and they've had a good feed. And that's the first, at the end of the day, mate, they're struggling a bit, a bit like me, you know. <laughs> if, you do, if you do an early trip, you know, nine o'clock cruise and you get out there, well, the crocs, when they've been in the sun for an hour, they're fresh and they're ready to rock and roll, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but, but by three o'clock, mate, and they've done 30 jumps, they're going, oh, not, not a bloody gun, you know. Right. I've had a dub of this. <laughs> and how do they jump? Do, are, they, are they sort of pushing up from the, the riverbed or how are, they, how are they propelling themselves up out of the water like that? Well, they've got this beautiful big tail and, of course, the tail is their, their benefit. And, and we really haven't trained to do this in the sense that they will jump out and grab fruit bats, which I've seen, and, and other animals off the riverbank. And they use that tail as their, can I say, their, their fifth leg, and that just pushes them up onto the bank. And that incredible strength of the tail will shoot them up out of the water. So they're really leaping. I mean, they're not actually jumping like we jump off our feet. They actually lose the tail to leap. They should really be called leaping crocodiles, actually. So, so the tail was... You mean like this powerful tail what pushes off the riverbed? Is that what you're saying? No, like a spring? No. No, it, what, it's swimming them up like that? It's swimming them up. <gasps> I just use the God. whole strength of the tail. The strength in these animals is absolutely phenomenal. Um, the, the strength, you just, you really, that's why I've got the greatest respect for them. I mean, when we used to serve, service our engines out on the riverbank there, you know, like they're swimming around the back of the boat and you're trying to drop the oil out, you know, into a container so you could serve because they're four-stroke engines and they're all swimming around the back of the boat, <laughs> You're thinking, struth, they could just jump at you if they wanted to, you know? So it's, sorry, I'm just focusing on this because this, this is fascinating to me. This mm. is like a, what, a single powerful swish yes. of this dinosaur tail of theirs is yes. enough to make them go, this propel, this thing the size of a car out of the water. Yes, 
Yes, they're just amazing. I mean, even the smaller ones. I mean, we made headlines of the NT News quite regularly because he was a bit of a popular old fellow, Brutus. But there's a lot of other little ones, you know, ones we all different names. We've got one called Rocket and one Leaper. And these some of these little fellas that are only a metre long, they'll come right out of the water, completely out of the water. And I've actually got photos on the head, well, years ago on the head of NT News with them, completely out of the water, mate, which is just amazing strength and energy to do that with a creature, you know. And when they crash back into the water, does that get all your guests wet? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know where, but it does a bit. <laughs> so... <laughs> some of them, so some of the people want to go home, mate. I'll tell you, we're not too silly. You know, at the end of the day, we never do any. We never risk the public at all. You know, we've had a, as I said, you get the odd incident where you're a bit, bit concerned about. But generally, the public are pretty good, as long as they see the animals and they're aware of that safety breach. Yes. We're off to a good start. You know. Now I'm going to ask a, a couple of silly questions about crotch, which yes. might seem really naive. Do they have personalities? Different personalities. Well, that, yeah, I think they have, really. I mean, after, and I can speak with experience. I mean, if you had asked me the first three or four years into the job or the career I was doing, I would have said no. But over a, a length of 30-odd years, you get to know your animals. And you can, let's put it this way, there's two big fellas and they're on the river as we speak, you know, still. My, my son and his mate took our business over, bought our business, and they've still got the two big crocs there. And these two big crocs have got different person. One's absolutely a monster. He will have a guardian. He's a dominating animal, so we nicknamed him Dominator. So anything around is is, is good measure. But Brutus, um, who I named after the um, Brutus the Gladiator, you know, thinking that was a tough name, he's a bit of a softy. A softy. <laughs> you know, if I, I don't, I don't believe you, Harry. <laughs> Is he, well, how do you mean by a softy? Well, I mean, he's softy in the sense that he'd eat you slowly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And he wouldn't hurt you because he hasn't got too many teeth, you know, but I mean, no, he, he, he's lost one of his legs to a shark, we think. You know, the whole shark, the whole leg has been severed off, but they do leave limbs and tails and jaws and that to other animals. There's a bigger animals in the river too, of course. And so, sorry, sorry, Harry. Yeah, mate. A shark. How on earth is a shark getting into the Adelaide River to take his leg off? Oh, the, the, river's, full of, the, the river's full of bullies, mate. The bullies are everywhere in the Adelaide. Um, they're a common fish right around the Australian continent, as you're aware. Uh, and these, these bullies are up to... I caught one one day. I caught a few, actually, with the grandkids going out. And, you, you know, you'd get onto them and catch them on a line. you really got to cut the line when they get close and let them go. We always use steel hooks, so the hook would rust off. It wouldn't hurt the animal. But And they're in the water all the time. There's a terrific photo of Brutus with about a, oh, a metre and a half bully in his mouth there about four years ago on the headlines of the NT News. You all know, right, like so, so it can go either yeah. way. A croc, yeah. a croc can go at a shark and a shark yes. can go at a croc. Oh, very much so. Yeah, if you're a small croc, look out. Um, you know, if you, you get beyond that two metres in... In, you know, the sharks are swimming around. They go by vibration. The bullies are in the water. Um, you wouldn't go in the water, mate. I mean, the water's full of sharks, stingers in the right time of the year and, of course, crocs. So you'd be nuts to go in the water because they're, they're, all, they're all lurking around waiting for feed and the visibility's nil. This is Conversations with Richard Feidler. Subscribe to our free podcast service. Details on our website, abc.net.au slash conversations.
Harry, we were talking about watching crocodiles feed and you talked about seeing Brutus, that famous croc in the Adelaide River, taking out a bull shark once. I've seen video footage of Brutus and the other big croc dominator fighting over a pig. Is there any kind of meat that they don't eat? Will they go at anything? Well, they do. And, and, and this was a major problem when the toads got here. You know, like we were a bit concerned. I got a bit involved uh-huh. with the ABC years ago on a few docos over the toads because some of these toads are near as big as a football and uh, yeah, they'd swim the river and the, the little crocs would eat them. And of course, it'd kill them. And I, I think I was the first to report a, a dead croc to one of our head coordinators, Tommy Nichols, Tom's head of the Wildlife Management Commission with crocodiles and I'd ring Tommy up and he'd come in, oh yeah, cane toad down his throat, mate. So they'll eat anything. Looking at that footage of Brutus and Dominator fighting over a wild pig, it's like watching a Godzilla movie. Yes. Do they ever eat each other? Do crocs ever do that? Oh, they're shocking. You know, they, 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 they've got no manners, mate. You know, they, they're just, I'm, I'm telling you, they, they don't ever get complacent with them. They are, mate, I love them, uh, you know, and I was lucky to get a while that I thought, I'm knocking on the door of 70. It's, I said to my brother Morgan, who was my partner out there, and he's a great guy, and him and I run the trips differently, but we both said to each other, if we could get to 65, 70, let's get off before we get eaten. <laughs> <laughs> but I was on that, I was on that day, and uh, that was amazing, because we heard that big pig squeal it was a big um big sow and uh brutus just grabbed him on the riverbank just wacko and dragged him and he was squealing and i had a, I had a full boat of people on i had 28 people on the boat and we managed to get the boat across to there where he was and it was just people got some incredible photos they've been thrashing this pig to death on the riverbank you know <laughs> like it was african stuff you know well, yeah were, were people screaming in horror as well oh yes. all? So, yeah. some people are horrified i mean little kids you know they think the they think the the bacon comes from the butcher shop you know mm. They, a lot of the parents sort of put, you know, towels over the kid's head and said, no, don't look at this, it's horrible, you know, that we expected a nice quiet cruise on a nice, where we're feeding a bit of buffalo meat. But they want to see crocodiles in the wild. And if that happens to happen, I mean, we did a day trip up to Goat Island for years and that was a wonderful trip. But you'd see the odd croc dragging cattle off the riverbank, you know, and people couldn't believe it. And some people got really upset, you know, they'd come out of cities and they just couldn't believe it. They said, well, I've never seen this. It's horrifying. What, what are we gonna, how are we going to stop this crocodile eating this cow? And I said, well, the crocs were here before the cows. They've been introduced by white fellas, you know. 200 years ago but people people's expectations are all different you know but if you see stuff like that it's just extraordinary really to see Tell me about the day you came to Brutus's rescue, Harry. Yeah, since that p- picture was taken by Katrina, we, of course, we got real smart. The phones rang from America and Europe and we got in all the newspapers and I think our website went to 7 million people or something. I couldn't believe the interest in it. So we, we blew up a picture of Brutus and, you know, we did everything we could to put him on the highway and it was a real attraction. We thought, God, I hope he doesn't end up dying on us, you know. <laughs> We'd have to call another crocodile Brutus. But anyway, he'd turn up most days, Richard, and we, this particular day, I went up the river and I said, have you seen Brutus lately, Morgan? He said, no, he's pretty quiet. We haven't seen him for three or four days. And then all of a sudden, he turned up and I had only a small group of people on, about seven or eight. And there he was on the other side of the bank and he swam across towards the boat out of a big gutter. And there's big gutters off the edge of the river bank full of mangroves and they often climb into there and have a rest. Anyway, as he got towards the boat, I noticed he's sort of dragging something along his side and I thought, that's interesting, you know, he's been injured or whatnot. And he got to the side of the boat and I looked down to his head because 
we could scratch him with a stick on his back, you know. He liked that. He sort of wouldn't run away or, or piss off when you did it, you know what I mean? He loved the idea of scratching him and he, he'd sort of stay there. So he, he, he sort of knew you were there, you know, and then you'd give him a bit of a feed and he'd hang around. So he had a personality. And I looked down his mouth, uh, Richard, and there was a big piece of, we call it African jungle vine. It's sort of like a native vine that grows on the riverbank and it twisted up into an incredible knot. You could have swung a car off it. I mean, it was, it was three inches thick, this stuff. And it was dangling out Ooh. of his mouth down on the side of his body about a metre out. And I had these people aboard and I said, well, this is why he hasn't turned up. He's, he's obviously crook. He's been chewing on this bit of rubbish and I reckon that this will be poisoning him gradually. And it went around into his mouth, you know, they've got a curvature mouth down into his gullet. Now, if he's into his stomach, it'll drown him because his gullet's open and he, he, he can't really dive with that. He's got to really stay on the surface because if a crocodile dives and that gullet is not closed, they'll drown. So I said to these folks, I said, listen, I'm going to get this out. And I said, oh, God, how the hell are you going to do this? How, what, you and mean you were going to pull the pull vine out? Yeah, no, I, out of a crocodile's maw? I had to get it out. I mean, if I didn't do this, we're going to lose this fella. And he was, a, he was a, I mean, he's your business partner. <laughs> At the end of the day, if you don't get this out, you're going to die. And you've got to change signage. And everyone arrives in the riverbank with their cars to see crocs. Oh, is Brutus around today? You know, how many times you get that question? So yeah. you said to yourself, I am going to have to go in and pull that vine out of that, croc- that gigantic crocodile's yes. mouth. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. So if you can picture it, picture it, Richard, he's right next to down the stern of the boat. So I said to everybody, get your cameras. I'm going to try to get this out. So uh, I wasn't stupid. I didn't use my hand. I had a hook, a, um, <laughs> what they, <laughs> like a pro- proper boat hook. It's a safety thing you have on the vessel. So it's like a big, a big pole with a hook on the end, is it? Yeah, that's right. correct. So I leaned over the side and I scratched his back a few times and he just stayed there looking at me. Oh, there we go. He's going to snap this bloody aluminium rod in half when I put it down near his mouth. I can see this happening a million times. And I put it down and he just laid there. And he allowed me to hook the hook around this big piece of material. And I managed to drag it up the side of the boat very carefully. And he just laid there. And once I got my hand on it, I would be a metre and a half from his mouth, but he showed no no fear or no no nastiness toward me. You know when they're going to attack you because they drop their tail, Richard, down into the water and that'll give them the strength to come out. They, they seldom attack from a surface attack. They'll come from underneath. So what happened then? You, you're well, pulling, you're yanking this vine out with a, with a boat hook. And, of course, it was at least a metre and a half down in his stomach. And as I dragged it out, of course, it'd been in his mouth for probably three or four days, you know, absolutely stunk, mate. you got no idea. Oh, God. And all these people are starting to spew. And I'm thinking, oh, gee, this is not real good for business. <laughs> and they couldn't believe it. And I dragged it out. <laughs> And the end of it's all furry. <laughs> oh, it's just amazing, you know. I never forget. I never forget some one of my highlights. I wouldn't say one of my highlights, but I felt really, really good. So I dragged it out, and he laid there. And then the people said, well, "What are you going to do with this?" And I said, "Well, no, I'm not getting rid of this bit of iron. We're going to stick it up the front of the boat, up on the rail." And I said, "I want to show my brother because my brother and I are very close, and he 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 wouldn't believe me if I dragged this out of his mouth." <laughs> so, so I, I stuck it up on the bow of the boat, you know, well, I said, Pedro, well, just hang on to your nose when we head back, it'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we thought we'd better give Brutus a feed because oh, he'd been a good boy. So I had a big heap of buffalo meat aboard and I just gave him four or five nice big soft blocks of buffalo meat and he just went mad. He grabbed that. And really, he, he, I, I, 
really think in a way, and I've, maybe I've been on the river too long, but you really think, I think he was thankful for that to happen, you know. If there's any humanity in animals, that was it that day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but... If you toppled into the water next to him, he'd eat you still, wouldn't he? I'd kill you straight away, mate. Straight there's away. No, there's no niceties in no. there. You couldn't... You, 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 you just... The only way you're going to stop him, and I've had a couple of times, I've had to grab crocs over the years that have been caught in fences and whatnot, and uh, you've got to get that jaw. The thing that's going to kill you is that jaw. You know, you've got to get that jaw closed, uh, and you've got to get a bit of rope around it. If you fell in the river, you know, you've got to get onto that jaw straight away because that's the thing that's going to grab you and drag you down. And they've got a jaw pressure of, oh, gee, you know, something like three tonne. And uh, they've got over 60 teeth. And once that punches into your, into your body or your legs, this is why most people don't survive, you know. So, so in case of, like, if we, you know, if we're practising this kind of worst-case scenario, you know, survival yes. guide here, if, if I stupidly leaned, leaned over the boat, fell into the river, and there's a croc there, can I survive that by climbing on top of the beast or something like that? Have you well, you, you just hope and pray someone like me, like I always carried a handgun on the boat, and I was a registered, I had a registered 357 handgun. But that gun was with me 24-7 when I'm on the river. Um, and if anyone fell in, um, you know, I've got it there to protect them. So if someone fell in, we can instantly fire a couple of warning shots at the croc. And if the crocodile continues on to attack the customer, well, you kill the crocodile. You've got to, you can't allow that to happen. That would be pretty ordinary. Another silly question for you. Yes. Have you ever patted him with your hand? No, absolutely not. Never. No, and I've had people try to do it, and I've been quite cross with people. Um, you know, I mean, common sense has to prevail. I've only ever used a stick on his back, and he loves a scratch. You'll come next to the boat, and you run the, you know, one of our feeding things right down his back and talk to him, you know, and he knows you're there. Then you bring him up on the bank, and then, you know, I said, come on, Brutus, come in, and everyone's got their cameras out. Everyone's just so excited. And uh, away you go. You get him up on the bank, and he puts on a bit of a show, and then he'd climb up the bank and say, I'll, and I, when I leave, I said, I'll see you at 11 o'clock, Brutus. <laughs> and away you go, and there he is back at 11 o'clock. <laughs> it's like SeaWorld, sea except with dinosaurs, essentially. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, it's a bit like that. Podcast and broadcast. This is Conversations with Richard Feidler. There's only so much you can do to protect your guests. I mean, short of staple gunning their clothes to the to the seats. <laughs> Has a guest ever been so foolish to jump off the boat into the river? Well, we had a we had a we we decided my brother and I, oh, oh, probably ten twelve years ago, to run a day trip up the river uh, up to a place called Goat Island with about ten people, and. We'd arrive there and have a bit of tucker and then, um, you know, some people are welcome to have a couple of beers or whatever. And I had a young bloke aboard this day and he, he'd, he'd, he'd probably had two or three more Bundys than he should have. And I said to everybody, right, the boat's leaving. <laughs> we, we, we better get out of here. We got to head home. You know, we'd, we'd been there for an hour and you know, people, I, I could see people had had enough. So off we went down the river and I said, make sure you all go to the toilet. We have a bucket at the back. If you need a bucket and we put up a towel so you can, you know, ladies need to squat, they can get into that or the men can hang over into a bucket, see? And it, 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 people love that sort of stuff, you know. It, it doesn't take long to <laughs> people get used to those yeah. facilities. <laughs> anyway, we always used to do a cup of tea, Richard. 
coming down the river and uh, I pulled up on the bank this day and this bloke had had a few, a young bloke, probably in his 30s and his, his girlfriend and uh, he was up the front of the boat and I pulled the boat up on the riverbank. Now, you've got to remember these riverbanks uh, go up and down about three metres and you get this big tidal bank which is covered in mud and I pulled the boat onto the riverbank. I said, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna have, what about a nice cup of tea or coffee and a biscuit, you know, before we get back to the car and get you into Darwin? And as I'm speaking, this guy got up and he walked up the front of the boat and obviously tried to get up into the scrub, which was where we're still at three or four metres or a metre and a half, I suppose, off the riverbank, and he tries to step on the mud. Now, the mud, the mud is like quicksand, mate. And in he went straight up to his stomach, you know, there's just no bottom in this stuff. And I was horrified. And he's in the mud screaming and his girlfriend screaming hysterically. Everyone's starting to panic. And I said to him, geez, what the hell did you do that for, mate? He said, oh, I need to go to the toilet. And I said, well, you could have used the bucket, mate. I said, geez. I said, We've got to, we better get you out. But I said, there could be crocs here, mate. And once you go into that mud, it creates a vibration through the mud. You know, I mean, he's shaking. I said, don't move too much, mate, because your croc will pick this vibration up the river 200 metres, you know. Well, you wouldn't believe it. And I look up and everyone looked up and I said, here comes the croc. And he slid into the river and started heading down the river towards us. So I said to this fellow, I said, mate, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, I'll have to drag you out of the river. We can't lift you up into the boat. You're stuck in the mud. I'll need to get a, a life ring around you and drag you into the river and then swing you up into the boat. But in the meantime, I said, this crocodile swimming towards you. I said, you're very fortunate. I've got a 357 aboard. And I said, I'm going to fire a couple of shots at this croc first from a distance and we'll just you know, within 20 or 30 metres of him, scare him away. Everyone hang on to your ears. So I fired a few shots. In the meantime, I said to his girlfriend, you better have a talk to your, your boyfriend. I said, look, we'll do our best to get him out, but you better have a talk to him about possibly making his final arrangements because I don't know he's going to survive this, you know. And, oh, she was just hysterical, mate, you know. You want people to panic a bit because you can't be nice about it. This is a very serious thing that was happening. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we... We, we shot at the croc and the crocs d disappeared. And I said, well, he's in the river coming still. So I got the rope around this guy, the, the, the ring, the life ring, and we dragged him in the river. And I had three blokes and we dragged him up through a special area in the vessel where you can get customers into. Well, I've never seen a bloke so green in fear. He was quite a, a, a wreck when we got him in, you know. He was a bit sulky on the way home, but he came real good in the end and thanked me very much. <laughs> How about you? Were you uh, a bit of a wreck well, at the end of that day? Well, I was buggered. I, I, you know, by the time you've you got to put on a brave face and put the gunner away, and I just made it as, oh, well, you know, this is not an everyday event, but, um, uh, you know, it's a lesson in this. You know, listen to the captain, use the bucket on the boat, don't jump in the river. So we uh, we got home and got them all around, and I think I rang, rang my girlfriend up, and I said, you better get me a bottle of scotch. I mm. need it tonight. <laughs> oh, God. There was a famous incident a while back with another croc nicknamed Michael Jackson who oh, yes. that uh, killed someone, not one of your, your no. customers, someone else. Did you see that man who before he was killed? 
that was another terrible situation and in, in, in quite seriousness it, it you know and we've got signs everywhere don't fish on riverbanks and be very careful but this particular chap it obviously you know not adhered to the information and we were doing a day trip and we're coming back to the same pontoon oh i can't remember it might have been 12 months after that and michael jackson was a common croc in the river you'd see him he'd travel up and down the river and had customers aboard and i looked down the river and i could see a bloke fishing on the riverbank and i thought oh, i better go down i'm sick of warning people but i'll go down and I got down there and he had his rod right out in the river and he's pulling and I pulled up and I said to him, how you going, mate? He said, oh, good. How you going? Oh, and I'm getting some caddies, mate. Very happy. I won't be long. I'll, you know, I said, well, mate, there's big crocs here. They feed here. And I said, mate, they'd love to eat you. You're only a little fella. And I said, mate, you really want to, don't want to do this. It's very, very dangerous. I could have been a little bit more and I kicked myself to death that I didn't, I wasn't more at him about it. But he, I, I could have been a bit more abusive with the words towards him, but I didn't because I had paying customers aboard. I would have given him a mouthful for being so stupid, you know. Anyway, I left and that was the end of it. And I, I believe after we left and got to the boat, he got a, a lure tangled up apparently on the riverbank. We heard later on in the coroner's inquest and, and Michael Jackson grabbed him and I never saw any of this, but... You know, the croc grabbed him and dragged him in the river and there was some, you know, a bit of footage of that kicking around and the poor bugger, that was into him. So, yeah, so the cops came out and they brought out the, the armed police and they got on the Adelaide River Bridge and they, they shot him, of course, which they had to because the croc wouldn't let him go. And they liked that. They'll, they'll hang on to their food. They fought hard mm. for it and they don't want to let it go. Do you still think about that day? Oh, you never forget it, mate. That, 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 I, I, you know how you have these little... I think to myself, I could have saved that bloke's life if I had abused him a bit more, but he, he might have done something stupid later in something else too. So if your time's up, your time's up. You know, you just don't know. But his poor wife was apparently hysterical and she wanted all the crocodile shot, you know, in the Northern Territory, and which is, you know, you can understand if it happens to you. But they had a feed of fish. They should have just been happy and gone home, you know. But anyway... That was the, that was sadly a, and there's been a few people go like that. Another bloke got eaten in Kakadu like that, you know, grabbing fresh water out of a bucket, out of the back of a boat, and he got taken, you know, and there's, there's a big list of people that have, unfortunately, Richard, have just broken those rules. Maybe it's got something to do with that feeling of incredulity I was talking about right at the start. Like, you mm. see that picture of that croc Brutus and you go, there's no way that beast can be that big. And it is mm. that big. And it is, mm. it's even more dangerous. And I, maybe mm. it just, there's something about the scale of those animals that defies the imagination, perhaps. It's hard to, just hard to get your head around how big and how dangerous these creatures are. Maybe that's it. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I suppose if we look back in time, you know, when there were crocodile hunters up in the Northern Territory, and I ne I've never shot a croc ever in anger, but back in the days, most of the crocs were shot out. So there were a lot of big animals that were cleaned up for skins and whatnot. And these animals are massive, you know. I mean, I mean there's been talks, this one I told you over in Normanton, you know, it's a big one there, which is on display for the general public to see at any time. I mean, they're big animals, and I mean, most of the big ones were shot out. So when you've got someone like Brutus or Dominator that may be 60, 70 or 80 years old, these guys have survived the hunting period because the hunting period stopped in 1971 when all wildlife was protected. So, oh. you know, these guys have survived and often skulls you see at mates' places and that that have got bullet holes through them, they survived the bullet, you know, because they've got a small brain. If you miss the brain and the bullet goes through the skull, they've survived. But these are uh, uh, not trophy croc heads, they're crocodile heads taken back in the pre-hunting period, if you know what I mean. 
So you're about to hang up your thongs and uh, retire after mm. 30 years in, in the game. Crocs mm. have been a huge part of your life. Yeah. How much how much croc paraphernalia have you got lying around in your home, Harry? Oh, dear, oh, that's a good question. Well, we've got a few big heads that we've we've found on the river, big crocodiles on the river. We dragged up with four-wheel drives and had them come out and check to see if they'd been killed by a boat or shot or whatever, and then eventually apply and get a permit to keep the head, and you've got to have a permit to keep it. But bits and pieces of stuff you got. I've got some wonderful photos, uh, that terrific photo of Brutus, which was in at the Darwin Museum for many months. And you get people ring you about it and ask stories and, you know, I think it's a wonderful life. I've been, I've been very blessed with a, a great time on the river with great people. I mean, you know, you really could count on one hand, Richard, <laughs> the dickheads you get, but most people are pretty good. That's a good philosophy to live by. You can count on one hand the dickheads you meet, but most people are pretty good. I think that's oh, pretty sound. <laughs> it is. We all go down that road, including think... the general public. <laughs> Absolutely. What a yeah. pleasure it is to speak with you, Harry, and all the best in your retirement. Thank you so much, Richard. Cheerio. Podcast and broadcast. This is Conversations with Richard Feidler. I spoke with Harry Bowman last year. Harry's been in touch to say he's enjoying retirement life. He's spending the time boating, fishing with the grandkids, and he's about to hook up the caravan and hit the road. And he's still wearing shorts. I'm Richard Feidler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to a podcast of Conversations with Richard Feidler. For more Conversations interviews, please go to the website, abc.net.au slash conversations. On days like these, we want to tell you the best story you've heard all week. Each episode of the podcast, we speak to one person about the biggest day of their life, the moment when everything changed. And there's always something you didn't see coming. Days Like These has funny stories. And he looks beautiful. He's fat and juicy and looking lovingly at the photographers. Scary stories. I came to when I was being dragged to the police car. And everything in between. I just felt so wrong to leave her there. And that's when I freaked out. I can't stay in this place. This is terrifying. And he's a oh my God. <laughs> yes. And in our latest season, we bring you tales of a mysterious Brumby. A brush with the Polish secret police, one woman's dream to earn her trucking licence and the power of an illicit love song. Join us on Days Like These. New episodes drop each Wednesday morning or catch up anytime you like on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.